Good morning. Great to see all of you. It's fantastic. Well, I got to tell you, it was so much uh, fun last two Sundays uh, preaching and uh, the whole subject of generosity. And uh, in fact, I'd say it was probably uh, one of the most fun Sundays I've, I've ever had preaching. And that's uh, kind, of, kind of a cool thing to be able to say since we were talking about money and what to do with money. And, and, and I, I just am so grateful for the feedback I got. I mean, it just made my week uh, to hear from so many of you. And, and even this morning, I had a conversation before, before uh, first service with somebody, and it was a kind of a conversation where I, I, I said, you know, man, I could just go home right now, you know, and it just made my day. Uh, it was just so much fun to see the transforming power of God in, in, in somebody's life, and, uh, and that's what was communicated to me in a, a few-minute conversation that we had. Well, one, of, one of the things that we talked about last Sunday was something that maybe some of us might be surprised at, and that is that uh, compared to the rest of the world, most of us in this room today are, are rich, in fact, very rich when we put ourselves up against the, most of the people who are, who are living in the world. And th the thing, though, that, that is so interesting with this, and, and I think it's important to be aware of, is that financial wealth does not translate into wealth in every single area of our lives. And in fact, some people have actually written about this when they look at, at the nation of America and realize that as wealthy as a nation as we are, uh, there are many people who are relationally uh, Im impoverished. And, and the real irony of this is that, is that wealth itself can, gives us the capability to do certain things that, that kind of work against us when it comes to this whole thing of, of building relationships with other people. Let me, let me just give you a few examples. Uh, uh, Modern-day conveniences that we have. You know, uh, uh, some of us uh, lived back in the day when there was, there was not air conditioning in houses. And if you lived in a city and you didn't have air conditioning and it was a very hot weather, hot day, where would you find most of the people at the end of the day, in the evening? They, they'd be outside, right? Out in their, they had a porch, out in their porch. And, and there'd be a lot of interaction between, between neighbors. And now when we have air conditioning, we're, we're everybody's in, inside when it's hot. Even the size of the houses that we have these days, we're able to have because of, of, of the wealth that we have. And, and there's something nice about that, but one of the things that works against relationships, how it's possible to, you know, yeah, I mean, every child's got its own room, and, and, and how it's possible for you to be in, in your part of the house and really not interact with anybody else, you know, like we're, you know, sometimes trying to find everybody, you know, that, and, you know, I think of, I think of Becky, my wife, uh, growing up in a family of seven children, and they had three bedrooms, and I tell you, two of those bedrooms were not large at all. And uh, you, you can, and, you know, with one bathroom, three bedrooms, seven kids, you, you can bet there was a lot of communication, a lot of relationship building that was going on. And, I, and, and you, meet, you meet Becky's family, I mean, they are there for each other. There, there is such a, such a strong bond of relationship that's been built. Uh, I, you know, I... The other thing is this whole thing of texting. Now, I love to text. I love to text. I text all the time. Some people say I text too much. But, you know, the, the problem with texting is when you start, stop verbally communicating with other people. Somebody told me they saw somebody, and I bet, I bet you've seen this happen, and, and they saw a couple in a restaurant, 
uh, having a meal together, and they couldn't help but observe that through most of the meal, they were texting other people, and they hardly were, were talking to each other. I know a family, and believe this, this is true, they, they actually, most of their communication in the house is done by texting each other rather than actually having face-to-face -face conversations with each other. And then there's uh, the, the whole thing of uh, DVD players in cars when your families take trips. Somebody just told me uh, last week they had, they had done a trip as a family, and they, they were playing movies the whole, almost the whole trip. You know, and there was, how much conversation do you have? You know, when you're just, I mean, great, fun to have movies. I loved, I mean, would I have one of those? Yeah. But, but you know, there's something that's lost in, in the process. And I think of when our kids were little, and I, you know, I'm glad I can't be arrested for this anymore. But we had this little rabbit, uh, Volkswagen rabbit. And there were times that all four of us were in the front. Greg would be on my, sitting between me and the steering wheel, me driving, and Nikki would be on the other side. We had fun. I mean, it was dangerous, but it was fun. Okay? And, and they survived. They, they, they survived. And then there, there's the, the whole thing of the, you know, social media and, and Facebook. And, 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 and there's a lot of benefits with that. But I tell you what, you can, you can have hundreds of friends on, on Facebook, but not have a friend up close who really listens to you and really enters into your life and, and they, you know, they, they really know the hard stuff that you're going through and they're there for you. In fact, in fact, you know, one of the things that bothers me about Facebook that I think creates isolation for people and, and really creates problems with building relationships is it's so easy to project this image on Facebook that everything's perfect in your life. And then other people look at it, and they look at their own life, and they know their life is far from perfect. And it really, almost in a sense, isolates them that much more from, from other people. And, of course, there's the whole pace of life. And you got you to, gotta, you know, to get wealthy, you got to be at a fast pace of life. And then when you get wealthy, you got more money that you can do stuff with, so you do more stuff, and, and then the faster your life moves and, and the harder it is for you to build deep relationships with other people. You know, I, I say all of this that, that I think it's very important that because this is true, you and I are very aware of this, and, and, and we're doing what we need to do so that we're intentionally building those good relationships in our lives that we need with other people. I've had too many conversations with men through all the years that I've been a pastor who have said to me that they really don't have a close friend in their life. And many times this has been, they, they've said this to me after a, after a moral failure in their life where there's nobody they were accountable to, nobody really engaging with them in their, in their life, or, or when they went through a hard time in their life and they, they had nobody in their life to give them the support that they needed. I've heard this too many times. I've had too many conversations not to be convinced that, it's, that it is so important for us to do what it takes to build those strong friendships and relationships in our lives. And I'll tell you what, the younger this begins, the better. All the way, I mean, all the way down to our children and our middle school students and our high school students. I, I bet every single one of us can, can look back on our lives and we can think of friends that we have had who've been there for us, who've made a difference in who we are. Friendship is very important going all the way back to when you're very, very young. And, 
And that's one of the reasons why at Brookside that we, we have wrapped into all of our ministries time for our, our children and, and our middle school students and our high school students, whether it's on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday evening, that they have this small group time with each other because we just believe it's so important that they're building those friendships. And I can tell you from experience, looking back with our, our two kids and how, how important the friendships were that they built with, ki- with other kids within, the, within our church, that a- as parents, this is something you don't, you don't want to miss for your kids. You want to be intentional about this, that you're helping them be here on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday evening, and it's not a hit and miss thing, but you're there consistently so that they, your, your children can build relationships with other with other kids whether whatever age it is it's so important so I'm I don't know if you picked up on it or not but I believe in relationships friendships I believe in small groups I'm passionate about small groups and so that's why I'm gonna I'm gonna make a bold statement this morning and 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 this is what I'm gonna say if you're if you're not in a small group really you are one small group away from changing the course of your life. Really, I believe that. Huge statement, but I really believe it. If you're not in a small group, you are one small group away from changing every single aspect of your life for the better. Your your spiritual life, your your family life, you can make your marriage stronger if you're married and help you do to do better as a parent. You know, the, uh, your, your, your workplace life, and in fact, I would say, you're, you're, I would even go so far as to say your ability to change, to make a difference in the world in which you're living. Now, this morning I'd like to look at a, a set of verses with you from the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews was written to a, a group of people who are going through a, a very severe, very severe time in their life. And, and, and the writer gives them the answer to being able to persevere in, in the suffering and the hardship that they're facing. And he's saying that it's, it's found in their relationships with each other. And um, so he told them, he gave them two things that they should do for each other. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. They should speak truth to each other, and they, they, should, they should show grace to each other. So that's, that's what we're going to look at. We're, we're going to look at those two things this morning. So let's, let's begin, all right? He writes, uh, okay, <laughs> let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is, is faithful. Unswervingly, uh, if your son or daughter is take, you know, learning how to drive, that's a word you really like. Uh, unswervingly means that they do what you hope they do, they'll stay on the road. And so the, the writer, what he is saying to them is that, that he's urging them to stay the course, to, 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 to persevere in their commitment to Jesus Christ. And, and he said, let us hold unswervingly to, to the hope we profess. Now, the, the hope we profess is what we believe, what we're building our life on. 
The truth of who Jesus Christ is, that he's the son of God and he's our savior, proven by the life he lived and by the, by the words he spoke and by his power to do the miraculous and ultimately by his resurrection from the dead. That's the hope that we build our lives on, the, the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And then he said, and what we all know is true, if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, is that our ability ultimately, really, when it comes right down to it, more than anything else, our ability to persevere, to, to not swerve from the hope that we have, comes down to, to God himself. And so he makes this statement. He, he goes on to say, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. He's talking about God, the faithfulness of God, that ultimately our ability to face every challenge that you and I have in life comes down to the, the faithfulness of God in our lives. But here's the thing to understand. It's not simply, it's not only what, what God can do for us, but it's also what every single one of us can do for each other. And so he writes this, and he goes on in the next two verses. And he said, and I love this, he said, and, okay, along with God, he said, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, you might be wondering to yourself, well, how does Steve have any, why would Steve say this has anything to do with being in a small group? Well, let me show you why. This is, he said, let us not give up meeting together. That, it's an interesting thing about that meeting together. What, what he's talking about there is not what, what's happening right here this morning. It's, he, it's, not, it's not simply a, a, a collection of individuals coming together to hear someone preach or to hear someone speak, which is it's a great thing to do. It's a fine thing to do. We, you want to do that. There's a lot of value in that. But what he's talking about here with those two words, the, the exact word that he uses in Greek is it, what it's pointing to is, is a, a coming together where, where, uh, of a group of people where all aspects of their lives touch. Okay? And the emphasis is on what we can do for each other. See, right now, as, as you're sitting there, there's, uh, there's, not a, there's not really a way that you can, you can get engaged in each other's life or do something for each other. You're doing an important thing. You're, you're listening to the teaching of God's word. But what he's talking about here is something different. And I, I don't know if this is a good illustration or not. I thought of it this morning, and I told it first service, and I haven't heard yet if it's a good idea or not, but it's like the difference between a, a bag of marbles, okay? You can, you can squeeze that bag, but those marbles don't really do anything for each other, okay? They just kind of, you know, roll around in the bag versus a, a bag of grapes, okay? You, you squeeze a bag of grapes, and they really get connected, okay? You know, I, yeah, I don't know. That maybe it's no good. Okay. All right? Okay. And what he's saying to us is he's encouraging the people he's writing to and to us to put ourselves in a, in a situation where this kind of a thing can happen. Now, it's true, you, you know, we can, uh, it can happen a little bit here on a, on a Sunday morning, 
as where we have some, some kind of a little bit of interaction with each other, but we can't really, really do what he's talking about here. What, what it takes is for us to be, become involved. The optimal place for this to happen is for us to become involved in a, in a small group setting where, where you, can, you, you can build trusting relationships with people in that group and, and where you have the time needed to, to be together where you can, you can really begin to talk about the real issues of life, okay? So, uh, find where I'm at. Uh, so he, uh, well, C.S. Lewis uh, wrote a book called Mere Christianity. <laughs> I, it's great apologetic. I don't know if you've read that book. I recommend it. If you haven't read it, you got to read it. It's just a short little book. Uh, people like, if you ever heard of Chuck Colson, he came to faith in Jesus Christ because of this book. But C.S. Lewis made a, a great statement in the middle of this book. I mean, this brilliant apologetic, and he said this. He said, Christ works in us in all sorts of ways, but above all, he works in us through each other. Just love that. That's, that's a great statement, isn't it? Christ works in us in all sorts of ways, but above all, above all, notice that, above all, he works in us through each other. So let's look at what we can do for each other. So first of all, speak truth to each other. And he goes on and he makes this statement. He said, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And that's, now, when you hear, when you hear, hear the word spur, most of us probably think of what a, you know, somebody rides horses, puts on the heel of their boot. And it, it would, it, it, it's used to, not, every, not all horse riders use this, but it's, it's where they, they can nudge the side of the horse a little bit, get the horse moving, that feels that little bit of pain, and gets them to move, start moving or, or to move faster. Okay? And I've never had anybody put one of those up against me, so I, I, I'm guessing the harder that it's done, the more, more pain you feel, which is very interesting when you look at the word spur, what it actually means when you dig into it. Uh, it means to, it means to uh, sharply disagree or sharply confront another person. And, and, and in fact, the, the, actual, the, the, the Greek word that, that's translated as spur, it's kind of fun. It actually means to irritate somebody else, okay? So it's a pretty strong word. And what the writer is saying to all of us is that, that we should seek to have that kind of relationship with other people where, where we give them permission, give them permission to disagree with us or to confront us when that's exactly what's needed in our life to, so, that, so that we'll love more, we'll love like we should love, and that we'll become more actively involved in doing good deeds. Okay? Really becoming more like Jesus Christ. Now, the qualifier in this kind of, this kind of a deal, everybody, is that this isn't something you just do with strangers, Right? Like, if you go out of here this morning, you don't want to go up to somebody you don't know and confront them about something, all right? That's just not a good idea. And, and, and you know what? 
It's not smart to open yourself up to people who are total strangers to do this kind of a thing in your life. You don't want to have total strangers confronting you for anything in your life. But what you want to do is you want to do, you want to do it with people you can trust. People you know really do love you and really do care for you. Okay? All the difference in the world. But I'll be the first one to say, I mean, I'll stand at the front of the line and say that this is, a, it, it is very easy for me to be blind to how unloving I can be and, and also to be blind to how selfish and self-centered I can be. And so I'll tell you, I need those kind of relationships with other people who will speak that kind of truth into me and confront me where I need to be confronted in those areas of my life. And I'm guessing all of us need that at some point. I've got a great example of this for you uh, from, from the book of Acts. I've been reading in the book of Acts over the last few weeks. And uh, it's uh, two very well-known men, Peter and Paul. <laughs> Peter was one of the disciples. Paul became a follower of Jesus Christ after Christ's death and resurrection. And they were two of the leaders in the early church. And and, uh, and I can tell you, I know these two men loved each other. They cared deeply for each other. But there was a time when Paul needed to confront Peter for something that he was doing that was very hypocritical and it could have been so damaging to the church. And so here's, here's what it was. When the church first began, it began in a culture where there was a great deal of tension between Gentiles and Jews. They that neither one really wanted to have anything to do with the other. And then Jesus Christ lived here on this earth. He died on the cross for the sin of mankind. He was resurrected from the dead, and the church began. And when the church began, it was made up of all Jewish men and women. There were no, no Gentiles involved at all. But then, in fact, you know what? The interesting thing on that is that the Jewish people actually thought that's the way it was going to be. And then God intervened, and he used Paul, and he used Peter to make it very clear that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of God's grace, wasn't just meant for somebody who was Jewish, but it was also meant for Gentiles. In other words, it was meant for everybody on this earth. And Peter and Paul led the way in, in, in breaking down this wall between Jew and Gentile. <laughs> there were a group of men... In Jerusalem, where the church began, Jewish leaders who were very much opposed to this. Uh, they, they, they actually, they did believe in Jesus Christ. But they also said that, that you've got to follow all of the Old Testament laws. You've got to, in fact, they even said, they even went so far as to say you had to become Jewish in order for you to really be a child of God. And they were very strong in their opposition. So here's what happened. Peter and Paul are in Antioch. These guys are back in Jerusalem. Peter's having a good old time with all the Gentiles. He's eating with them. He's enjoying with them. He's, you know, enjoying their company. He's socializing with them. I mean, there is just no barrier whatsoever. And then these guys from Jerusalem shows up. And you know what Peter did? He, like, all of a sudden acted like he, he wasn't having anything to do with the Gentiles. He just stepped away from them. And Paul's sitting there. And he's watching this happening, and he's like, he's going, what? What are you, 
you know, in his mind, he's going, what, what are you doing, Peter? But he doesn't stay silent about it. Has anybody ever seen that, that television show? I don't even know what it's called. I've watched it two or three times where they set people up where somebody does something really obnoxious and they see if anybody's going to respond or say anything. Has anybody ever seen? Nobody else has seen that. Okay, well, there is a show like that. Anyway, but, but that, this is the kind of thing that happened. Paul didn't stay silent. No way. Right in front of everybody, he confronts Peter with the wrong thing that Peter is doing. And he does this because he loves, he loves Peter, he cares about the church, he knows that the stakes are so high, and so he does for Peter and everybody else what needs to be done. And as a result of this, it helps Peter become a more loving person, and everybody become more loving, and really, everybody do what's the right thing to do. We all need that, right? We all need that at some point in our lives. And we all need to do that for each other. In fact, I, I, you know, if, if, I, if I had uh, the opportunity to be in everybody's small group, and I was not the leader, okay? I'm not talking about being the leader. But I was part of a small group. Um, and I noticed that the people, everybody else in a small group was not doing their assignment or maybe... Two or three people were not doing their assignment. They were not reading, they were not reading their scripture reading for the week, and, and they showed up at small group. You know what? After a little while of seeing that, I wouldn't expect the leader to be the one to take care of that. I would say, I care enough about this person. I'm going to speak into their life. I'm going to do a little bit of confronting and speaking the truth. So here, here's the second thing that we need to, to do for each other, and that is we need to show compassion, and we'll just move on to the <laughs> second one. Okay, we need to show grace. We need to show grace. And so he went on to write this. He, uh, he said, let us consider how we may spur one another on uh, to love and good deeds, and then went on, and and then he said, and, and, uh, and let us not give up meeting together. Some are in the habit of doing, but, and then he made this statement, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Notice the day is capital D. That means the day is the day when Jesus Christ returns to earth. And, and, and we know, the scripture tells us, the closer we get to the return of Jesus Christ, the more difficult it's going to be to be a follower of Christ. And so he said, let us encourage one another as we see that day approaching. Now, the word encourage there is like the exact opposite from the word spur. It's like the exact opposite. You know, it's true that you and I, at times we need somebody to nudge us on the side when we need to get moving in the right direction as, as followers of Christ. But there's other times where we need somebody to put their arm around us and come alongside us and empathize with us and, and sympathize with us and, and do everything they can to understand what it's like to be in our shoes and, and to experience what we're experiencing in life. And so they come alongside us and they encourage us and they give us the support that we need. We all need that too, right? I got another great example of this from the book of Acts. And, and it's Paul, and, and it's a man by the name of, of Barnabas. And, and this time, Paul's on the learning curve. Okay, he's on the learning curve. 
I love this. Paul, I mean, I'm in awe of Paul, and he's on the learning curve, okay? So Barnabas, by the way, that was like a nickname. His real name was Joseph. And evidently, the, the apostles who gave him that nickname saw something in Joseph's life to give him this nickname Barnabas because Barnabas means son of encouragement. So he must have been a big-time encourager in other people's lives. And, and, and so here's, here's what happened. Uh, in, in the book of Acts, you read about how the apostle Paul went from one city to another throughout the Roman Empire to plant churches. And Paul, and Paul and Barnabas, this all started out of the city of Antioch, and the church in Antioch made the decision that Barnabas should go with Paul in planting these churches. And this was not an easy thing, okay? I mean, this was not like traveling down an interstate highway. This is rough. This was... This was, this was hardship. They would go through a lot of opposition. They suffered for it. They could be beaten up for doing this. And, the th- the, and, and so just that's the context, okay? They took another man with them, a young man by the name of John Mark. And John Mark uh, came from Jerusalem. He, he, he traveled with them for a, a very short while. And then he decided, I can see the handwriting on the wall. This is not going to be fun. This is going to be a lot harder than, than I expected it to be. And so John Mark left them. He deserted them when they needed their help, and he went back to Jerusalem. Fast forward. Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas had successfully planted churches throughout the Roman Empire. They're now back in Antioch for a period of time, and they decide that it would be a good thing for them to go back and visit the churches that they had planted to see how they were doing. And guess what? Barnabas wants to take John Mark with them. He said, Paul, let's give him another chance. And Paul said, no way. We got way too much to do. The stakes are too high. We can't risk it. We can't risk it on this guy. And so they, I mean, this is where scripture gets very real. They they disagree with each other. So, so much so that that uh, Paul takes a guy by the name of Silas, goes one direction, and, and Barnabas takes John Mark with him. And then you finish reading the book of Acts, and there's nothing more that's said about John Mark. And, and, and I, I know I, I wondered to myself, well, what happened to John Mark? Well, sometime after that, Paul wrote two letters to a man by the name of Timothy. And in the second letter, he, at, toward the end of the fourth chapter, Paul is, is says to Timothy, please come to me quickly. Paul's in prison. He doesn't know how much longer he's going to live. This is a, this is a really hard time in his life. And he, he said, Timothy, I need, you to, I need you to come. I need you. I need, I need your help. And then I, I love this. This is, this is what he said. He said, get John Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I just love that. See, Barnabas must have really been doing the Barnabas thing. 
He must have been a big time encourager in John Mark's life because Barnabas took John Mark alongside him and he just helped him become the man he should be to the point that Paul recognized the change in John Mark and said, bring John Mark. I want John Mark to come. I want him to come. Isn't that great? See, I'm convinced every one of us need a Barnabas in our life. And better than having one Barnabas, how much better it is to be in a small group where you have a circle of Barnabases who are encouraging you, you know, who are, who are, who are giving you the support that you need exactly at the right time when you need it. So that's why I'm so passionate about small groups. I mean, you can be in an in a setting where other people who you know love you and care for you, who you can trust, they're speaking truth in your life, and when you need it, they're giving you, they're giving you the encouragement that you need. That's why I'm so passionate about small groups. You know what, everybody? Men and women who are, who are really maxing out their life, making it everything they, it can be, they have a sense of urgency within themselves when it comes to acting on and doing the things that can make a huge difference in what they value the most in their lives. And they do it knowing that life is short. And they want to do, they want to do everything they can to make the most out of the one life that they have. You see, I'm convinced that one of the most important thing you and I can do is to become part of a small group because doing that will make a difference in what you value the most in life. It'll help you be walking a closer walk with Jesus Christ. It'll help you be a better father if you're a father, a better mother if you're a mother, better husband if you're a husband, better wife if you're a wife. It'll help you be a better person in the workplace, a better person in the neighborhood in which you live. I mean, in every way, it will help you be a better person. So that's why I love small groups. That's why I love all of you. I would just, you'd make my day if every single one of you would be a part of a small group. And can I just say something else? Here's, here's the deal, everybody. If you're not in a small group, it's true that you're, you're one small group away <laughs> from changing the course of your life, but you know what? Not only the course of your life, but the course of the life of so many other people, even the people in that small group. 